John 14, John 14, verse 17 and verse 23. And the theme you have on the screen, God in us. So it's the continuation of the series on the Holy Spirit, God in us. John 14, verse 17 and verse 23. Let's call upon the Lord. Our God, great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus equal to the Father, the exact imprint of His nature, the radiance of His glory, eternal Spirit of the living God, Spirit of God from whom there is no escape, from whom we cannot hide, triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, Come upon us, come upon your people, you who dwell in your people. Speak, living God, and give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Here's a prayer written by a Puritan a preacher in, in England many centuries ago, and he he prays, O Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, the ocean full of water, heaven full of glory, so may my heart be full of Thee. And I hope by the end of tonight's message that that would be the prayer of every heart. Fill me with Your Spirit, O God. Fill me with Your fullness. So we're going to look at different ministries of the Spirit from these verses. And it's all about the indwelling of the Spirit. God in us. The Spirit dwelling in us. So the first ministry of the Spirit is He teaches us the truth. He teaches us the truth. Let's read verse 17a. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Even the Spirit of truth. Now, as you might know, and probably most of you know, that when Jesus speaks these words, he's on his way back to heaven. So this is just before he's going to die. It's not long now. He'll be crucified the next day. Then he'll be buried, and on the third day rise from the dead. And then 40 days later, he'll return to heaven. And then, 10 days later, what will happen? The Holy Spirit will come. He will pour the Holy Spirit upon his church. Now Jesus promises in verse 16, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper, because remember He's going away, Jesus. He'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Who is this other helper or this other comforter or other advocate or other counselor? Well, the next verse calls Him the Spirit of Truth. Why is He called the Spirit of Truth? What does verse 6 tell us about Jesus? I am the way and the truth. So the spirit of truth testifies, bears witness to the truth and to a person, to Jesus. And the spirit himself is the truth. 1 John 5 verse 6. Now the Holy Spirit, when he bears witness to the truth, to Jesus and who Jesus is, then he gives that truth to the apostles. And he tells them to write down the testimony of Jesus. And you find that in chapter 16, verse 13. 
where Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He'll guide you into all truth and he will tell you of things to come and so on, says verse 12. But he will not speak on his own authority. He will not speak his own words. Whatever he hears from me that he will speak and he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and he will reveal it to you, he will give it to you. And then Jesus says, that is why I said he will not speak on his own. Whatever I've heard from my father, that's what the Spirit gives. So the Spirit then helps the disciples. And when he gives them these words of truth to speak, he helps them to remember exactly what Jesus said. So they're not going to write things that Jesus didn't say. They're not going to write things and say, Jesus said this, but he never did. Jesus did this, but he never did. They're going to write exactly what Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why is that important? And chapter 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because... You've been with me from the beginning. So the Spirit's going to help them to write those things accurately. That's important because Dan Brown, many years ago when he wrote the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown said, we don't really know what Jesus said and did. Actually, later on, 200 years later, they found, they found this manuscript some years ago that was from 200 AD, the Gospel of Thomas, Nahamadi in Egypt. And they found these writings and he said, actually, Jesus went to India, he married Mary Magdalene and they had children and that's the truth about Jesus. Or you've got Bart Ehrman, a liberal theologian in the United States, or even liberals in South Africa who say, we can't really know what Jesus said. Well, the four Gospels are so corrupted, we don't, even Muslims say that, the four Gospels are corrupted, the Bible we have now, we don't know what Jesus said and did because they believe Jesus is a prophet. That is nonsense because the Holy Spirit would lead the apostles and show them what to write and remind them and bear witness to Jesus. He's the spirit of truth. And he goes further. The Holy Spirit now leads us in truth, into all the truth, into the truth that was written by the apostles, their testimony. So we have the testimony. He who is from God, says the apostle John in 1 John 4 verse 6, listens to us. We hear what the apostles say. And the Spirit convicts us and shows us it's truth. It is truth. It is true. You can believe that. 1 John 5 verse 10 says that we have this testimony in ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit testifying when you hear the preaching of the Word. When I read Luke's Gospel this morning and preached it, the Holy Spirit in every believer told you it is true. It is the truth. You can believe it. So He opens our eyes. Uh, or our eyes and our ears. He opens your ears to listen, to hear more than John, more than Paul, more than just a human author, a human voice, Luke or Matthew or Peter. He makes you hear more than Ivor Jeffries preaching this evening or what other preacher preaches here, the men in our church or online. When they speak the truth, you hear you hear the voice of your Lord speaking. You hear the voice of the Lord speaking in Scripture. The voice of Christ. And you know this is the Word of God. 
You hear the shepherd's voice, Jesus said. My sheep will hear my voice. They know my voice. The Apostle Paul said, you received from us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, you accepted it as the word of God, which is at work in you as believers. Revelation, over and over, Revelation 2 and 3. Let him who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You hear the voice of Christ. You hear the voice of your God. You hear the voice of the Spirit. And that is enough for us as believers. That is enough to convince us and to convict us. The testimony of Jesus in Scripture is true. We do not need archaeology, philosophy, or miracles to convince us the Bible is true. I'm not saying those three things aren't uh, precious. I'm not saying those three things aren't used of God. I'm saying Scripture in and of itself is sufficient. It is enough to convince us this is true. And the Spirit convicts us of it. Jesus said that. That's my sermon for next Sunday morning, God willing. Luke 16. They have Moses and the prophets. They've got the Old Testament. If they will not believe that, they will not believe even if someone should rise from the dead. So the authority and the truth and the power of Scripture is locked up within itself. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the power of God. And that's why we believe the Scriptures. It is the truth. John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is the truth. Jesus prayed. And the Holy Spirit in the heart of every believer convinces you and tells you, you know the Bible is true and truth. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. He teaches us this truth because He's the Spirit of truth, says verse 17. And He convinces you and shows you and helps you with discernment, to discern, to know the lies of the devil, the lies of sin, the lies of the world. He's the spirit of truth. And he shows you those are lies. This word is the truth. So to get to application then, that implies, that means that the Christian who is fullest of the word, the Christian who hides most of the Bible in his or her heart is the fullest of of the Holy Spirit, most filled with the Spirit, that Christian will have the best discernment to discern, to distinguish between right and wrong. That Christian will not fall as easily for the father of lies, who is the devil and Satan, because you've got the Word and the Spirit in your heart. You are full of the Spirit and the Word. And that is exactly, it's exactly for that reason why unbelievers do not even know they are blinded by, by Satan. They do not even know they are in the trap of the devil and they're following the devil because they do not have truth, therefore they cannot see the lie. The spirit of truth is not in them. The word of God is not in them. And they can't, they can't receive the spirit of truth. Why? What does verse 17 say in, the, in your Bible? We'll receive the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why not? Because they don't see Him and they don't know Him. What do unbelievers do? What do their lives look like? They live according to their five senses. What they see, hear, 
taste, feel, and smell. And if their five senses can't observe something, then it probably doesn't exist. So they do not believe in the invisible. Some unbelievers do believe in the invisible. Some non-Christians do believe in the invisible, but it's still because of the visible. It's because they, they got goosebumps, or because they heard a voice, or because they saw some manifestation of an angel or a demon. And that's why they believe it's still their senses working. They do not believe in the invisible spirit of God. Jesus says that. They cannot receive the spirit. Why? Because they cannot see him. They don't see him, therefore they think he doesn't exist. And they do not acknowledge and receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the testimony, the witness the Spirit bears to Christ. They will not receive that. Now some people, some unbelievers will believe in the Holy Spirit, some non-Christians. They will believe in the Holy Spirit. But again, that's because they saw some manifestation and manifestation, manifestation, I mean they saw some miracle or some healing or something of the sort. But they do not believe in the invisible spirit. If they do say, but I believe in the Holy Spirit, what do they want? They want his power. They don't want the spirit himself. It's like Simon the wizard, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, where Simon saw the Holy Spirit was given to these new believers. And he said, give me that power. I'll give you money. I'll buy that power. And anyone I lay my hands on, the Spirit will come upon them. Maybe they spoke in other languages, spoke in tongues. Or prophesied and he saw this. And he was really impressed. So he didn't want the Spirit. He wants the power the Spirit can give. Unbelievers do not acknowledge the Holy Spirit as God. They do not acknowledge Him as God, and therefore He will not come to their hearts. They do not know Him, Jesus says, in verse 17. The Holy Spirit feels very uncomfortable in a house that's dirty. He feels very uncomfortable in a heart that is, that is controlled by sin and dominated by Satan. So He will not go and dwell and live in that heart. Verse 17 again. The world cannot receive Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Jude, verse 19, Judas. Jude verse 19, it speaks of people devoid of the Spirit, empty of the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit of God. And the sad thing is that unbelievers miss a whole other world. They are not even aware of this other world, the spiritual world. Why are they not aware of this whole other world of glory? Because the Spirit does not live in them. So without the Holy Spirit, they don't have a clue. They don't understand at all real pleasure, real joy, real peace, real love. They don't have that. Maybe something eating a mango. I just had a very tasty and sweet and juicy mango yesterday. It's wonderful. I can see God in that. I can see God's handiwork. Now unbelievers can see that. They can enjoy and see beauty and they can enjoy a bit of love and maybe some peace. But it's all temporary, and it's, it's just on the surface. It's like standing at Jeffrey's Bay, because my wife thinks that's the most beautiful ocean in the part of uh, our ocean in this country, or oh, maybe some of you like the Western Cape. And you're standing at the ocean, and you've never really watched documentaries on television, and you stand at the ocean, and you think this is beautiful. And it is. You're not even aware. There's a whole other world below the water. That's what unbelievers are like. They enjoy some of the pleasures and joys in this life. Because the Spirit doesn't dwell in them, 
They do not even know there's a whole other world. Second ministry of the Spirit, he reveals himself. Look at verse 17b, where it says, You know him, for he dwells with you. Only to there. You know him, for he dwells with you. How do we know God the Father? What has God done to reveal himself to us? We know God the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals the Father. John 1 verse 18. How do we know Jesus? The Spirit, right? The Spirit opens our eyes to see the glory of Christ. Okay, we know that. How do we know the Holy Spirit? He's revealed himself in the Word. He, who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. He used people, but the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit reveals himself. I'm preaching on the Spirit from the Bible tonight. So he reveals himself through the Word and also through experience. Personal experience. Jesus said he will be with you. The Holy Spirit comes and he dwells right inside us. When it says... In verse um, 17, you know him. That word know in Greek literally means to know by personal experience. It's the same word used in Luke 1, where the angel said to Mary, you're going to have a baby. She said, how is it possible? I'm a virgin. Actually, the Greek said, how is it possible? I do not know a man. Same Greek word. I don't know by personal experience, by intimate communion. And so by intimate fellowship, we know the Holy Spirit. And it's necessary that you know him like that. It's not enough for you simply to read the Bible and know, oh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is God. Oh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit uh, dwells in believers. It's not enough. You have to know him personally. You have to know when it says you know him for he dwells with you. That word dwells with you, the verb in Greek means he keeps on living with you. He keeps on dwelling with you. You have to know the Spirit. I can use an English word to say he abides with you. You have to know the Spirit like that. What will happen if you do not know the, know the Holy Spirit personally, by personal experience? This is what will happen. You will ignore the Spirit. You'll forget, oh, the Spirit dwells in us as believers. You'll forget of the Holy Spirit. You'll ignore the Spirit. And very easily you will make the Holy Spirit sad. You will grieve the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this evening, I'm going to give some personal testimony tonight from my own side here. I want to say that in the circles I move in, and maybe our church to some extent, I'm a Reformed Baptist. And we can very easily, in the circles I move in, and the sermons I listen to, we can very easily Forget this matter. And we've got such a strong reaction against the charismatics. Because we think that's funny, weird stuff they do. People flopping and falling over and shaking. And they're saying and that's the Holy Spirit. And we've got such a strong reaction to those things that we become afraid of experience. We're afraid of experience. And we feel comfortable. We feel content. We feel satisfied. Oh, all we have to do is we need expository preaching. I need to explain the, 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 the Bible text to you and illustrate it and make it understandable as far as I can and 
Give some applications and the Spirit of God will work. And that is not true. And people become all anxious when I say that. They become all anxious when you say things like that the Holy Spirit can work without the Word. You say, where do you find that? That's not Reformed. I don't care if it's not Reformed. I'm asking, is it Biblical? The Holy Spirit can work without the Word. Genesis 1 verse 2. And when I say the Word, I mean the written Word, the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Was the Bible there yet? The written word? Not yet. Did the Spirit work? What about before the Bible was written? Before ever pen was put to paper? Did the Spirit work? Oh yes, the Spirit worked. So the Holy Spirit can work without the Bible. And because we do not understand this, and because sometimes we do not believe this, our wrong theology means we think the Holy Spirit automatically works when the Word is preached. And that is not biblical. I'm going to give you some Scripture references tonight. The Holy Spirit doesn't automatically work just because I'm preaching accurately. And I'm going to give you the implications of this in a moment. Jesus preached. Were the disciples' minds open? He preached the truth. He preached the Word. Were their minds open? Luke 24 verse 45, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Before that, they didn't understand. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14 to 18, Moses, the law of Moses is read every Sabbath to the Jews. Do they see Christ? They do not. We need the Spirit to work with the Word, to open the minds, to open the blind eyes, to open the heart, to give a new heart. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. I just read it in the prayer meeting before church. One Thess or before the worship service. 1 Thessalonians 1 5. Our gospel came to you not in word only, but in the Holy Spirit and with power. What will happen if you do not believe this rightly? Well, you're going to start trusting in your preaching. You're going to start trusting in the preaching instead of trusting in the Spirit working with the preaching of the Word. Lydia sat by the river, Acts 16 verse 14, and the Spirit or the Lord opened Lydia's heart to understand what was being said by Paul. And if you have the wrong theology that I had for years, you know what will happen. You're going to trust in the preaching alone and not the Spirit working with the preaching. And the result, the disastrous result will be you have churches that where the centrality of prayer is not a priority. And you have pastors in their ministry. Prayer is not a priority. Why? I can study. And I can preach the word to you. And do the exegesis. And explain the text. And apply the text. And where is the power of the Spirit of God? Absent. We need prayer. Another... Disastrous result. Here comes my real personal testimony. Because we have this wrong theology of the Word and the Spirit, that also influences our view of subjective leading. Now I'm going to explain that. Subjective, objective leading would be, I've got the verse, this is what the verse says, I must do this. Subjective leading means, and I believe in objective leading, but I do not deny subjective leading. I used to in the past. I used to say that's nonsense. The Spirit doesn't lead you by putting thoughts into your mind. The Spirit doesn't lead you by laying something on your heart. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you by really burdening your heart to do something. That's not true. We've got the Word. 
And this is sufficient. If you say the Holy Spirit leads us subjectively, that means you believe in new revelation. You believe that the Holy Spirit now gives new messages that's on, on par with Scripture, and now you're adding to the Bible. And another thing, because of our own theology of Word and Spirit, the next thing we do is we deny that the Holy Spirit gives supernatural gifts. And I said that for 20 years. Until January 2022. And I'll still share that when I preach on the spiritual gifts. I had all my texts. I even preached them to you. I had all my guns ready, blazing. Go in, guns blazing, fight these charismatics who say all kinds of wrong things. And I still believe many things they say wrong. I'm not a charismatic. But I used to say the Spirit doesn't work in that way anymore. The Bible is complete. And if you say that the Spirit still gives the gift of prophecy today, you are adding new revelation. And you're, putting, you're sticking stuff into the Bible. And now you're saying the Bible's not enough. We need more. Now, I agree. I agree. The Bible is a closed book in this sense. The canon is closed in this sense. We do not add new books to the Bible. We do not need book number 67 because 66 aren't enough. Hebrews 1 verse 1 and 2. Long ago... In many times, in many, play, or many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. So we've got Scripture. And we do not need to add to Scripture. You may not add, you may not take away, says the, the end of Revelation. But that's not new Revelation. If I say that the gift of prophecy still exists today, I'm not saying we've got new messages from God we need to stick into our Bibles. That's not what I'm saying at all. So I don't believe that anymore. I used to believe that. And let me tell you why I don't believe that anymore. It's not because of a biblical reason, per se. Experience is not my Bible. Experience doesn't tell me how to live. The Bible tells me how to live. And God tells me through His Word and in His Word. But, if my experience goes against Scripture, then I must say something's wrong. So last year, I got a book. Tony Beryl Enoch. This is not last year. This, this must be before COVID. So I get this call from a stranger. She tells me, hi, I got your number from so-and-so. My husband was a pastor. He's died now. I've got books. Do you want some? So I go there. Not many books I'm interested in. I take a couple. Come home. Just put them in a cupboard. Never read them. Got a lot of other books that I read. And then I move, I get a study at the church. So I move from the house to the church, January last year. And there's this book, The Supernatural Gifts of the Holy Spirit in the four, first four centuries AD. So all this guy does, it's a doctoral thesis, Yale University. It's a South African guy. All he does is he just quotes the church father. Every single writing of the church father and the spiritual gifts he quotes. And he gives you the whole context, lengthy passages. And I say... The supernatural gifts ended when Revelation was written or when the last Bible book was written or when the Apostle John died. All the church fathers, without exception, says, no, it didn't. They all speak of how it existed in their time. For 300 years, and I'm talking church fathers that lived in the time of the Apostles. So here am I saying for 20 years, these gifts ended when the last Apostle died and they just give you passage after passage after passage. Oh, these things happen. It's common. It's every day. It happens in the churches. It happens where we minister. Oops. 
So now I have to go back to the drawing board, back to the Bible. Did I interpret this correctly? So the church fathers didn't think that these supernatural workings of the Spirit ended in subjective leading. The reformers didn't think so. Although the reformers would call themselves cessationists, cessationists means they believe that the gifts, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit stop when John the Apostle died or ceased or when the scripture, when canon was complete, when the scripture was written, uh, finished. So they didn't think so. They didn't think so. Let me give you some examples. John Welsh. He was the son-in-law of a Scottish reformer, John Knox. I've got his book. I'm busy reading it now. By, written by John Howie, a banner of truth publication. And so John Howie writes, the life of John Welsh, and you see prophecy, predictions he made, very accurate, they happened exactly like that. Not vague things, detailed things. You read John Welsh's life where a French student died. The doctors declared him dead. 48 hours and the people say, please, we want to take him and bury him. He says, no, I'm not allowing you. And he keeps on praying until the man comes back to life. You read such things in Spurgeon. Spurgeon wasn't a wacko. Spurgeon was a solid biblical preacher. Spurgeon, I gave examples a few weeks ago where Spurgeon preaches and he pinpoints to someone he doesn't even know and he tells accurate information that no one told him. Wow. Richard Nill did that. Richard Nill picked up little Spurgeon. Was he five or ten? I couldn't remember. But I've got it in the autobiography of Spurgeon. Spurgeon himself, his wife, writes that. He gives a prophecy about Spurgeon, some prediction about the future. It came true exactly in detail, and there was a lot of detail in the prophecy. So now I'm not reformed enough, I guess. John Bunyan speaks of dreams and visions. I read a little book, Maranay, I think you read it because I saw you took it out in the uh, um, Singing in the Fire. Yeah, and I wrote, that's also a Banner of Truth book. Banner of Truth are solid people. And so the Banner of Truth publication, you read in this book, I wrote in the, in the front page of the book all the page numbers and I wrote in the book is, our view of, is my view of the spiritual gifts is it too strict? Here you read of people in church history people who loved Christ people who loved the word of God who were solid on the gospel and they speak of dreams they speak of visions they speak of prophecies things that were predicted that came true exactly. So the Holy Spirit is a person the Holy Spirit works dynamically with each believer, differently, powerfully in the heart of each believer, unique. And sometimes the Holy Spirit works through the Word. Sometimes He works with the Word. And sometimes He works without the Word. Like with John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He didn't have, and when I say the Word, I mean the written Word. Not meaning the word who became flesh. John the Baptist filled with the Spirit. Did he understand the Bible? He's in his mother's womb. He's a baby, an unborn baby. The Spirit worked without the word in that case. Or you've got an example in Acts chapter 8 verse 29 where the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot, go to that Ethiopian man. The Spirit told him that. He didn't have a Bible. There wasn't a verse quoted. That doesn't take away at all from sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means the word alone. 
That doesn't take away from sola scriptura at all. In fact, it underlines sola scriptura. Where did I get these things that I said? I got it from the Bible. Your sons will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your male servants and female servants will dream dreams and see visions. That's in Acts 2 verse 17 and 18. That's underlining. This is what Scripture teaches. This is what Scripture says. And I might shock you and maybe you think, you know, I need to find another church. I hope not. I hope we know one another well enough that I'm not going to do wacko and weird stuff. But I'm going to say, if the Spirit wants to work that way and He wants to do something in the life of Spurgeon like that, then He's going to do it. Spurgeon even had a dream once where Spurgeon dreamt the sermon. He was struggling with a sermon. He couldn't get it. He was sitting and sitting and sitting. And then he said, I can't. And his wife said, go to bed. I'll wake you up early. And while he's dreaming at night, he's preaching the sermon exactly what he needed. And then his wife said, yeah, there's your text. There's your theme. Or he had the text. There's your theme. There are the main points. You preached your sermon in your sleep. I woke up. <laughs> so the God can do that if he wants to. God can do that. So a question then. Does God give new messages that we need to add to the Bible? Not at all. Not at all. We do not add to Scripture. So when the Holy Spirit, when He leads someone subjectively, he places something in your mind or you dream something, it's not a new message that we now need to stick in our Bibles. And now we've missed something for 2,000 years, guys. How did we not have this book in our Bible? It's not a new book. It's not something given to the church at large. It's something that the Lord gives to an individual in a specific case, a specific circumstance, like Spurgeon having that dream. Or well, I had a case like that. I know Quiz had one too. Quiz shared his with me. Um, but I had a case like that where I was busy praying in my backyard for the church and for different things. And suddenly one of our church members, this is now more than, more than 10 years ago at least, um, maybe even 15 years ago. And suddenly one of our church members' names comes into my mind. And it's overwhelming. It's, I feel burdened. Pray for that person. Pray for that person. And I do, and I pray very earnestly and very seriously for that person. And the next day I send a message. Listen, is everything fine? I, I prayed for you. And, and the person said, I had this terrible crisis at that moment. And it was the moment I prayed. So does the work? Does the Lord work like that? Well, a number of years ago, I thought God doesn't work in that way anymore. Although He worked with me. He did that. How did I deny that? Another example I gave to you, I'll give it again, was Nico Fonsale, Birchley Baptist Church. And Nico told me, we should be very careful. I'm going to give you some warnings now. We should be careful of this kind of leading, but not deny that the Spirit does lead in that way, <coughs> as He pleases. So He told me He was walking in Bloemfontein, and he's walking past a house, close to his parents' house. And he's got this, you must go to that house and knock on that door. He thought, what? And it's, it's heavy, it's heavy. He can't shake it off. So he goes to the house, knocks on the door. And he says to the guy, the guy opens the door. He says, I don't know why I'm here, but I feel that the Lord just burdened me. I must knock on your door and come here. Is something wrong? And the guy was about to commit suicide. And Nico could share the gospel with him. Okay, now the question then. Because we're all afraid. We, as I said earlier, we so, we've got such a reaction against the charismatics. We're so afraid of these kinds of things, of experience. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know it's not the devil misleading you? Uh, the devil can come as an angel of light. How do you know it's not your emotions? Or your lack of sleep? Or maybe your, your chronic heart medication? <laughs> How do you know that? Well, the way you know that is 
John 16, verse 14. The Holy Spirit will come. He will glorify me. If it's not focused on Christ, it's not the Spirit. If it doesn't glorify Christ to make Him look great, it's not the Spirit. Another way we know it is the Spirit, You, this Word, Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Holy Spirit will never guide you or lead you or prompt you against the Bible to do something that is unbiblical. And then the fruit will show. If it's the Spirit leading you, what kind of fruit? What will be the result? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If it's not the Spirit, it will be gossip, fighting, division, anger, and so on. Finally, third ministry of the Spirit. He fills our hearts. That's verse 17c and then verse 23. Now, that's probably not 17c. I just took the last part. He will be in you, verse 17. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says in verse 17, You know the Spirit. How did the apostles know the Spirit? Well, they knew the Spirit from the Old Testament. He created the world. Genesis 1 verse 2. They knew the Holy Spirit led the people of Israel through the wilderness. Isaiah 63 verse 10 and 11 and verse 14. So they knew the Spirit. They knew the Spirit from Jesus' ministry, His miracles, His healings, His preaching, because it's through the Spirit that He did that. It says Matthew 12 verse 28, 29, Acts 10 verse 38. So they knew that Jesus even said that, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, open the eyes of the blind, and so on. So they knew the Spirit, but the Spirit did not yet dwell in them permanently. That's why the end of verse 17 says, He will be in you. He will be in you. When will the Spirit be in the apostles? That's future for them. He said will. It's not happened yet. When will it happen? Yes, when Jesus goes up to heaven and pours out the Spirit upon them. Jesus said that in John 16, verse 7, I will go away, I'll ask the Father, and I will send the Spirit to you. So He will send the Holy Spirit to them. And we read that in Acts. That happened where the Spirit was poured upon them on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit dwells in every single believer. 2 Timothy 1, verse 14, says to Timothy, the Spirit who dwells in you. So the Spirit is in every believer... And for how long does he live in every believer? What does verse 16 say at the end? End of verse 16. He will be with you forever. And then verse 17 at the end, he will be in you. So if he's in you forever, that means the Holy Spirit never ever leaves a Christian. He will never leave you. He will never let you alone. And disappear. Yes, he might withdraw a sense of his presence, but he's there to convict of sin. And even in your glorified body one day, the Spirit will be in you. In your new body you will receive when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians 15.44 speaks of a spiritual body. It doesn't mean a ghost-like body. It means a body controlled by the Holy Spirit. What will we say of someone if the Spirit doesn't live in them? 
Well, Romans 8 verse 9, if the Spirit doesn't, of Christ is not in you, you do not belong to Him. So don't tell me, and some people say this, oh, you can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Him. So what, what does Jesus mean? The Holy Spirit will be in you. What does He mean? Where? You can't take an x-ray and see. The Holy Spirit literally lives in your body. Literally. And He lives in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17, And he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God, have from God the Spirit who lives in us. And then Galatians 4 verse 6, He sent forth His Spirit into your hearts, the Spirit of His Son, Jesus. So the Spirit dwells in your heart and in your body, in your spirit, in your soul. Why is that possible? It's possible because He's a Spirit. Another human can't live inside your body. So He's a Spirit and He's an omnipresent Spirit. He's everywhere. So that's another proof that He's God. Psalm 139 verse 7, Where shall I go from your Spirit? The Holy Spirit, if He's in every believer right now, that means He's where? Everywhere. Then He must be God. So now we have something better than Emmanuel God with us. Now we have God in us. Jesus said that. John 16 verse 7. He says, it's to, to your advantage that I go away. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't send the Spirit. But if I do go, I'll send the Spirit whom I receive from the Father. So now it's not only Jesus walking with you in sandals on earth. We, oh, how wonderful it would have been if we had Jesus here on earth. Well, Jesus said it's actually to your advantage that, that the Holy Spirit comes. Not that Jesus is not omnipresent, but Jesus is human and Jesus is God. He's God and man. But now he says he will be with us through the Spirit. Wow. Verse, verse 17 again. I will be in you. I will be in you. Now, when he says I'll be in you, it doesn't mean that there's no line you can draw between your Spirit and God's Spirit. Oh, so I become a God. And so now it's God and me, we're one, and I'm one spirit with, become one spirit with the Lord, like Paul says, and so now there's no, no dis distinction. Like the Mormons believe, the Mormons believe you become a God. Or Buddhists. One Buddhist said to Ray Comfort, street evangelism, I am God! I am God! God is here, He's in me, I am God! <laughs> Or you get the word of faith movement, the little gods doctrine. You're all little gods, little gods. Or Christ in me international is a cult in Pretoria. Yeah, Christ in me international. They say the, the Christ spirit came upon Jesus. And so Jesus is just an ordinary human, but the Christ spirit came upon him. And so the Christ spirit is in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1 verse 27. So you are like Jesus and not just like Jesus, you are on par with Jesus. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. When it says the Spirit is in you, that's a union. That's a union like a husband and wife. Is the husband and wife the same person? No. But are they one? Yes. And so it is with us and the Spirit. And yet it's an amazing fact. It's an amazing fact. I stand in awe when think of this. Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit in you. This is the God of whom Solomon said, the highest heaven cannot contain you, cannot hold you. This is the God of whom we read in Isaiah 57, 15, where it speaks of you who dwell in the high place. And if you have a plaque in the high and holy place, he's the holy one. And yet he dwells with him who is of a contrite heart and a humble spirit. Or a humble heart and a contrite spirit. Wow. Eternal God. Heavens cannot contain him. And he dwells in you. <laughs> Listen to this. A poem. You are, you are a sea without a shore. Awful and immense you are. A sea which can contract itself within my narrow heart. <laughs> this is a sea with no limit, with no beach. And yet that sea can contract, pull itself back to live within my heart. That God. So the believer, the Christian, that, if I can get your application, that means you are never alone. Never. Because God lives in you. Does not leave his children the Holy Spirit dwells in you through, or the Father and the Son live in you by the Spirit. Look at verse 17 again. Verse 16, He's with you. We read verse 17, at the end He's in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said, I'll come to you. How will Jesus come to them? I know that can mean after the resurrection. But I believe that means more than that, because He's just spoken of the Holy Spirit. I will come to you by my Spirit. Doesn't Jesus tell us that? In Matthew 28, I will be with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus, by His Spirit, dwells in us. Think of Ephesians 3 that Yosha read for us this evening. Where it says, um, according to the riches of His glory, may you be strengthened in the inner man. May you be strengthened with power by the Spirit. Through His Spirit, so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then verse 19, may you be filled with all the fullness of God. And verse 23, where Jesus tells us, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. I in you, you in me. Galatians 2 verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the Jesus who's, who promises. This is the Lord who promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because his Spirit dwells in us always. He's with us forever. Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in us, making their home with us, the triune God. Oh, and he feels very much at home, very much at home where a heart is sprinkled with the blood of Christ, where a heart is cleansed by faith, by trust in Jesus, washed in his blood. Oh, he feels very much at home where there's a heart who submits to Jesus, bows the knee, who loves Jesus, who obeys Jesus. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who loves me will keep my commandments and my father will love him and I will manifest myself to him. And verse 23 that I just read, He who loves me will keep my commandments. Yeah. And it's to that person that God comes. And the Spirit says, Oh, this is a nice house. 
this is a clean house that I've cleaned for myself and I will go and live there. And he makes it his home. Wow, what a joy. So may I encourage you in closing. Sprinkle in your heart. Sprinkle in your heart. Cleanse yourself from every defilement of body and spirit. And so bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. And the Holy Spirit will come and make his home and he will fill you. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Where there's sin, let the blood of Christ wash. And where the blood goes, the Spirit goes. Where Christ goes, the Spirit goes. And where the Spirit is, Christ goes. <laughs> and so what will follow will be you'll be rejuvenated for quick. You'll be replenished. You'll be refreshed because the fountain of living water is in you. The Spirit of whom Jesus spoke who will come. And you'll be enlivened. And you'll be empowered. And you'll be bold. And you'll be fearless to speak of your Lord. Because it says, the Spirit came upon them and with all boldness they went out and spoke the word. And where the Spirit comes and dwells, you'll be comforted. Where the Spirit comes and dwells, you'll be able to pray. You'll be able to pray not in your own words, but you'll be able to pray in the Spirit. That doesn't mean praying in tongues. Because that's for all Christians. You'll be able to pray with boldness. And you'll understand the Scriptures because the Spirit teaches us the Word, says 1 Corinthians 2. And you'll be empowered with spiritual gifts to serve in the body of Christ. And you'll be empowered to conquer sin in your life. Because the Spirit, the desire, the desire of the Spirit will fight against the desires of the flesh. And you'll be so bold in this evil world and you will know He who is in you is stronger than He who is in the world. 1 John 4 verse 4. And all because the Spirit dwells in you. But that if I just may say this, a last paragraph, that is not the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing the Spirit brings when He comes is Himself and the Father and the Son who come to dwell in you, who come to make their home, verse 23, and you have sweet fellowship, sweet communion, The fellowship with the Father and the Son, 1 John 1 verse 3, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 13. Almost like Yaku and Sarieta, or Sunay and John Reina. Oh, so in love. And then they get married. And they share their lives with one another. And they're always together. Father, thank you that your Spirit is with us in this way. That we are always together, Father, Son, and Spirit with us and in us. Praise your name. Now and forever. Amen.